Hey everybody, welcome back to Rediscovering Yourself Through Chronic Illness. Um, decided to hop on and figured in a way it was kind of fitting to do the last episode of Season 3 on Leap Year <laughs> of all days. Um, God, oh, it's too funny. I didn't even, I, I think all of us, you know, you can look up the significance of Leap Year and, you know, all the stories surrounding it. Um Half the time, I always forget the leap year's coming until it's right up upon, and then I got to thinking, oh, hey, this is the one year where February's got an extra day. <laughs> uh, ended up staying home uh, from work due to a pretty severe migraine that left me sleeping most of the day yesterday, so with a storm rolling into my area, just decided to take an easy day, make some food here in a little bit, and work on some projects, and... Um, just enjoy some of the quiet. Lord knows my little kitty cat is. She pretty much runs the house. You can tell who's the boss when your cat <laughs> lays on the full-size couch and um, pretty much relegates you to the relegates you to the left seat more often than not. Oh, I definitely love my little kitty. She's I'd be lost without her, just like I'd be lost without a lot of the things and the different people in my life that. Um, I value more than I can say. You know, I was just telling somebody else earlier, <sighs> it's still crazy to think that adding all the different elements to my life thus far, it's still kind of hard to comprehend the fact that I can add uh, um, post-brain surgery to my little life resume. Yeah, just kind of reminds me of what my mom used to always say, and she still says by and large that, Life happens while you're planning for other things. So uh, it's amazing what happens and amazing how life just flies by. Can't even believe we're almost literally tomorrow's the first day of March. I swear as the years go by, the months pass quicker. Um, but yeah, I wanted to hop on and uh, get the last episode of season three. And God, again, it just never ceases to amaze me. That little uh, project that I thought of last summer has achieved a little bit of expansion that it has. So, you know, I can't stress enough. I just I tried to create this to where it could actually be hopefully beneficial, informative, and in some ways just engaging. You know, even if I never really saw the full scope of the project, it was just my hope to kind of put something out there into the ether that could just maybe could do some good so um still working on ideas for season four uh what i'll probably do is um spend the next couple of weeks working on ideas for season four so season four will probably start um by mid-march kind of get a game plan going for some episode ideas and still working on the threads page and still working on the podcast um, Instagram page. Next few months at least don't have as many jam-packed medical appointments as last year did. So that's definitely been nice. Um, as anybody that's ever dealt with a rheumatology condition by and large, that's definitely a hamster wheel in itself. Uh, when I saw my rheumatologist last, um, 
He said everything was by and large stable and I was not a clear-cut candidate to have something stand out right away, so it's just going to be slow and steady monitoring. So, just grateful to have a rheumatologist that listens. I think anybody that's dealt with a doctor, regular, whether it's for any regular condition or a chronic health condition, personally or for a loved one, one of the most maddening things is when you feel like you have a doctor that doesn't listen, who isn't proactive, who isn't open. So grateful for that. Um, so I'll be doing the labs for the rheumatology uh, here pretty soon. I see the rheumatologist in August and coming up I've got my MRI um, at Stanford in April to check for the Rathcliffe's cleft cyst, which is my understanding of fluid type abnormal growth that's at the base or near the pituitary gland. Um, I was originally seeing the deemed expert for those at Stanford, but he was too much of a misogynist and just, it was too much of a fight with him that I talked to somebody else in the department. And I was like, well, can I see you? And she's like, well, I'm not really the expert. And I was like, well, to be honest, I'd just rather see you because it's just frustrating to feel like you're dealing with a doctor just doesn't listen, doesn't want to listen, gets combative with questions. So I'm glad that I'm seeing her. She may or may not be the expert, but at least she's open. Nothing worse than feeling like you're fighting with people that get taken seriously. Um, So that MRI is in next month, which will also be good because it'll monitor the area where I had the Chiari surgery um, last summer. So still have six millimeters of tissue that's compressed in the spinal column near the brainstem. Um, Chiari is distinguished at being a minimum of five millimeters of brain tissue. That's when it gets diagnosed as being Chiari. Um, so I'm not surprised that the neurosurgeon didn't want to cut in every in there, all of it out, because you're getting further and further to risking the potential for um, paralysis at that point because once you get into the dura, there's nothing separating you, the surgeon, between that and the spinal column. So am I thrilled that I have brain tissue compressed in my spinal column at the brainstem? No. But I get the very real reality. So just keeping an eye on that and just hoping that more tissue doesn't become compressed Kind of something that I thought about yesterday with that migraine because neurologic and headache and migraine changes can often be indicative of something going on up there. So just hoping that that period of having eight millimeters was just a fluke. So just hoping more tissue doesn't become compressed in there. So that's going to be another monitoring game. Um, see my local cardiologist in May. God love him. Like I told my mom, I can't stress enough. He's really been a godsend to me, and by extension, her. I'd be lost without him. It's been seven years since I had my first episode of syncope, and, you know, no matter how many times I sit here and consider myself, have moments of feeling frustrated, it's important for me to consider myself lucky because, yeah, most people with POTS, four years and six six doctors to get a diagnosis. I got a diagnosis 10 months in after first episode of syncope. So considering I am where I am, especially seven years in, 
even on the bad days or the not-so-great days. It's something I've had to try to remember to remind myself that, as they often say, things can often be quite often be worse. So just trying to look at it as glass half full as much as possible. Um, June, I see my pulmonologist at Stanford and still keeping the um, inhaler on hand as much as possible. So now that I have to contend with the hyperinflation of the lungs, so, you know, I think by and large, it's becoming more obvious that that's why I've dealt with a chronic cough. So just seeing how that can work and just monitoring that, because as I've said before, and another byproduct of the POTS, um, the autonomic nervous system, the two parts that it has, the sympathetic side, which is what's impaired with me, can cause abnormal widening of the bronchi. So just another aspect that I have to keep an eye on. You know, as I told someone else, I, um, you know, I've never tried to begrudge the fact that addiction is hard to kick, especially when you have an addiction to things like nicotine. So when I say that I'm glad that I've never smoked, it's not because I try to make myself better than anyone that's smoked. It's just a decision that I made because I've seen the effects of it. So I'm still hoping by and large that especially as I get older, that my decision to um, not smoke will hopefully pay off in spades in that regard. Um, and then in August, I'll get my first consult with the new gastrointestinal doctor at Stanford, which has been great. My Stanford doctor in that discipline, uh, left about a year ago. I'd been seeing a nurse practitioner and when she had told me that they had finally gotten to the point of finding actual physical gastrointestinal doctors for my doctor's caseload, how I basically put it to her was, I need someone who has the best grasp of POTS, autonomic nervous system dysfunction, and the impact on that on gastrointestinal function. I need the best possible person that I can get. So, you know, some people would be like, hey, get me a doctor as soon as possible. It's like, mm, I'm okay with waiting, seeing you, since this doctor is fairly well-versed in um, GI dysmotility especially for someone like me that deals with gastroparesis and gastritis both. But like I told her, I'm all for, that's great, seeing a regular GI doctor, but please put me into a category of being placed within someone in your respective department that has the best comprehension of this. So, because again, it's, I understand the intricacies and the multifaceted aspect and the learning curve of all these disciplines with, with it being from the patient level and, um, you know, from the practitioner level, but it's like, again, the older I get, the more I learn, the more that pops up. I just, it's become harder and harder to have the energy and the motivation and the chutzpah to feel like I'm fighting a doctor to get something, a point across. I'll do it if need be. Lord knows anybody that knows me who follows this or not knows that I can be pugnacious as much as the best person, but not going to lie, it's kind of nice to not feel like you're fighting a doctor. So... I'm crossing my fingers and hoping that this doctor that they've attached me to will actually um, will actually be a good one. So here's to hoping, trying to be hopeful. Um, so that's in August. And on a personal note, still crossing my fingers and toes that um, I will be able to make my trip to Eastern Europe in uh, either August or October. All things depending um, the hope is to go to, uh, Eastern Poland and Western Ukraine. 
the farthest I'd be able to uh, go into Ukraine, I think realistically at max would be Lviv. Um, do the sponsored, the responsible parts, um, registering trip with state, keeping in tabs with family, no social media posts in country, keeping contact with things like WhatsApp, et cetera, et cetera, travel vaccines, all of that. Um, so talking to other friends that have traveled abroad, what to expect in things like customs. So that'll definitely be a good trip because I really, really would like to, you know, being someone who, um, you know, on the one hand, absolutely am a classic example of, you know, family canon often, oftentimes it is those that aren't related to you by blood. Um, one of the um, boulders that I've carried on me since I first found out at 12, and I've alluded to this for many episodes, is finding out that my dad was adopted in a um, closed adoption due to a contentious divorce because my grandmother was an alcoholic and uh, my grandfather didn't want to put up with it. So she's like, hey, screw you. I'm going to have our son adopted by my second husband and not only that, in a closed adoption. To the effect that, of course, they had to have this happen in the state of Arizona, which to the state of Arizona, it doesn't matter that my biological grandfather died in 87. My adopted grandfather died in 1998. My grandmother died in 2000 and my dad died in 2011. State of Arizona, like many close record states, do not care. So those kind of records end up being closed for, I believe it's like 99 years. It's like, God. So this has been a personal journey for me. So it's, it's something that I hold especially close, you know, in particular in light of the fact of, you know, where my family happens to hail from. And so, you know, the events of the world right now in many ways are not arbitrary for me. Like they're not arbitrary for a lot of people. I think a lot of us are feeling world events in different ways. You know, human nature is human nature. Um, but yeah, finding out that uh, my biological grandfather and his family survived two pogroms, narrowly missed a third. And had it not been for missing that third, my grandfather very may, very well likely may have died with his two elder siblings, his, his two elder brothers, his elder sister and their mother in Eastern Europe. They very likely would have died had that pogrom happened in 1905. And my grandfather's father would have been here in the States, having come here in 1904, and he couldn't have done anything to save his family. Just knowing that, you know, it, it definitely has kind of altered my approach to things in terms of um, holding closer appreciation to, you know, trying to make sure that, you know, I can leave the best possible footprint on, um, on the world in my little life to the best that I can. Albeit being a flawed human being, I'll be the first to admit that. Someone who's still learning, I'll be the first to admit that. Someone who's tried their best, I'll be the first to admit that. But yeah, being the product of um, Eastern European Ukrainian immigrants who happen to be who happen to have been Ashkenazi, coupled with having a um, graduate degree in um, public policy, conflict, peace, and terrorism negotiation. That's really fostered and facilitated the hope to um, complete this uh, application process to go on and get my Juris Doctorate to work with conflict refugees. So 
you know, that's where I would like to see ultimately my life go. You know, I mean, it goes back to being a 13, 14 year old kid who, um, found solace and comfort in uh, writing, was fortunate enough to be friends with the niece of the high school journalism advisor and was able to get let on to the staff as a sophomore, which was highly uncommon, you know, to the three-year internship I had at the local newspaper under the managing editor, who I still count as a good friend 24 years later, you know, to looking at my old newspaper clippings that have started to turn yellow, which is kind of comical in a way and makes me feel old, you know, looking at those, having them framed on the wall, and, you know, just knowing that I had my first front-page article in the local paper at um, 15 and a half, you know? It's stuff like that that I hold great pride in. And don't get me wrong, I mean, I hold great pride in the fact that I have a master's. <coughs> have I not been using it? Yeah. But I'm still glad that I have it because it's a goal that I set my, for myself. So that's why I'm hoping that this... Um, that this shady application process can go through. Cause I would like to do something that's substantive, especially as someone whose family endured what they did to maybe try to uh, pay it forward and give it back in a way. But, you know, pinging to the chronic health aspect, you know, I mean, every time I look at my master's hanging on the wall, one of the first things I think of is the fact that I was three quarters of the way through that program when they found out I had an ovarian tumor that was starting to tear and I had, I continued to, uh, ignore it. Like I was ignoring it since I thought that I was just having a little st stomach bulge and I attributed the back pain to working in retail. Had I continued to ignore those symptoms, I probably would have, I probably would be dead. So, you know, that's what I think about when I look at my master's, not that I'm not that, Oh, Hey, I'm not using it. Or, oh my God, the level of debt I put into it. Don't get me wrong, there's a lot of debt there. But it's a goal that I set for myself. So, And I'm glad that I, I'm glad that I achieved that. Because, you know, one of the things my mom always said is that um, education is one of the best things that you can invest in. Because it's one of, the, one of the only things that nobody can take away from you. And, you know, looking back on the last 20, 25 years of my life... Um, one of the things that makes me the most proud is I, I would never claim to be an expert on the world or people or whatever. You know, I've always just tried to be the best possible observant global citizen that I can. And, you know, that's why when looking at like research, I mean, <laughs> I'm only chuckling because my research skills are uh, <laughs> a running joke with some people in my life. But, you know, just looking back at my... Um, just looking back at my education and knowing that I have the hands-on practical coupled with the relationships that I've built, you know, I mean, some, some people could look at the masters and be like, oh my God, I'm not making the comparable wage that goes along with, um, the degree that I happen to hold. And yeah, but you know, money's not everything. We all need money to pay the bills, but relationships really are the most important, important currency that we have in this life. That's one thing I've learned after in the last, um, let's go back the last 15 years. That's something that I've learned after losing, let's see, an uncle by marriage, two uncles by marriage, one uncle by birth, one aunt by birth, another aunt to pancreatic cancer, um, a parent's health going sideways because of lupus, my own ovarian tumor, trying to manage all of that going through grad school, working, and then my mom's mom being diagnosed with um, 
non-small cell lung cancer almost a year to the day after they found my ovarian tumor. And this woman was my best friend. Her death was like losing an arm. She's someone I think about, especially with the fact that it's been 10 years since she died this August. Um, and then graduating grad school the month after my grandmother was diagnosed with cancer. You know, it's coupled with all of that where I kind of look back and go, you really learn a lot about yourself and what you're capable of when life throws a lot of different and weird things um, at you. So it just kind of gives your perspective a little bit of flavoring and seasoning in a way. So, you know, dealing with the unknowns of um, POTS since my neurosurgery and the general life stuff right now, um, just kind of looking back in the last 10 years, it's kind of helped me, I think, become a little bit more centered on um, reminding myself of what I've been able to accomplish, acknowledging those that have been there along the way that have aided me in whatever way to accomplish that, both familial and non-familial, and uh, just remembering the fact that at the end of the day, um, there is no world book to life, whether it's living life, whether it's dealing with an illness, whether it's dealing with the loss of a loved one, you name it. There's no rule book. So that's what I've told other people that have lost family members, lost loved ones, dealt with chronic illness, dealt with close calls. The best thing you can tell anybody is, hey, especially if you've had a similar experience, worst thing you can do is come at it as, oh, I know exactly what you went through. I know I get it completely. No. Best thing to say is I get it in my own way because no two people have the same exact experience. So, you know, it's definitely been something for me to watch some of the people in my life that have endured some crazy things in their own life who have come out stronger as a result. I've got a lot of strong, powerful examples of um, people of great integrity in my life that I'm incredibly grateful for. I'm very happy to say that a lot of the people in my core existence, not to discount the people that have only been in my existence within the last few years, I value them immensely. I'm grateful to say that I have a considerable amount of people um, in my in my core group that I can say that I date back the start of them being in my periphery for the last 20, 25 years. So, so yeah, again, relationships are the only real valuable currency that we have in this life. Like one person that comes to mind that I value immensely is a very dear friend of mine who... Um, put themselves on the line in uh, international combat and also put themselves on the line during the pandemic. I'll never name them directly, but I've always said that they have literally been the foot soldiers of the betterment of humankind and continually embody the example of what more of humanity should be. Um, the notion of being selfless and getting to the end of your nose. And like I've said before, another thing my mom said has said is um, getting to the end of your nose and remembering there's a world around you um, and that actions impact others. This particular friend, I will literally hold close to the fact that they are an indelible, fundamental example of the fibers of the framework of what humanity should be because they've put themselves on the line during war and they put themselves on the line during, um, during a human health crisis. And that 
to me at least, takes incredible courage, incredible integrity, and incredible selflessness, which this person has in spades, in spades. So I'm, in, I'm grateful to have them in particular in my life, and I'm happy to say that that's a relationship that's held solid for a quarter of a century now. And what I love most about them is that they're incredibly humble and they don't take compliments at all. <laughs> but um, yeah, this relationship with this person in particular is more than just friendship. They're, they're family. They're, they're part of my DNA. They're part of the calcium in my bones. So, you know, they make me want to be a better human. So, all right. With that being said, as I think I alluded in the last episode, alluded to, um, this would basically be kind of a summation of, you know, various topics that have been, um, covered in, uh, in previous episodes throughout the last three seasons, which again, oh my God, it's hard for me to believe that this is the end of um, season three. So with that being said, um, the goal for the start of season four is to get the first episode up by March 15th. So I'm kind of in the process of digging through some of my research and some of my topic ideas and piggybacking off of... um, off of other people that um, have very valuable and very solid suggestions. So working on that. Um, Moving forward, all I can say is anyone dealing with a chronic illness, know that you're not alone. And anyone dealing with um, having a family member or a loved one who uh, who's in uh, active duty service in any of the branches, Thank you for your service. Military families stick together. Um, anyone who is a former active duty military, thank you for your service. We're able to be free because of the acts of the people in the uniforms, more so than the acts of the people in D.C. That'll never be a policy debate for me. I, As anyone knows about me, I'm more than happy to, even in the middle of a retra- retail transaction, to look at anybody in the service and take the time to say thank you for your service. It's the least any of us can do because anybody in the armed forces is the reason why we are able to sit and be free fundamentally. The men and women of any of the armed services, and I'll say it globally, they are the ones that put their their butts on the line. And they're the ones that are the foot soldiers of history. So, um, one one doesn't deserve any more respect than the other. So with that being said, I look forward to catching up with everybody with the first episode of season four on March 15th. Thanks everybody for listening. Take care.